0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's episode of the Mean Streets Podcast. On this week's episode, I had on Chris Patola, a college basketball analyst for ESPN and a host on SiriusXM Radio. Chris played four years on the Army basketball team from 1999 to 2002. After fulfilling the required five years of active service for the Army, he went on to join the Duke basketball staff from 2007 to 2012, getting up to be the director of basketball ops for a couple years. And in that time, he also helped with the USA Basketball program from 2008 to 2010, I believe, working with the Redeem team. Uh, so there's some really good stories he has from his time with Coach K, uh, some good LeBron stories, some good KD stories. And he talks a little bit about his time in the Army as well. encourage you guys to stick around and listen to, to everything Chris has to say. And if you guys could still subscribe, rate, and review to the Mean Streets podcast, I would greatly appreciate it. Share with your friends, do whatever you can to get that out there for everybody. Uh, so yeah, without further ado, let's get to my conversation with Chris Spatola. All right, let's welcome into the pod, uh, college basketball analyst for ESPN and a host on Sirius XM Radio, Chris Spatola. Spatola, how are you doing, my friend?
1: I'm good, Andy. What's going on with you? Everything okay?
0: Yeah, man. Uh, we we're just joking before we start recording that. Um, times are kind of slow right now, so no, barely any sports, if at all, we're all watching old classic games, um, getting ready for like the MJ doc and everything. So how are you guys holding up over there?
1: We're doing great. We're, uh, it's good to be together. Good to be with family. Um, we, uh, I, I found myself the other day watching two NBA players play video games, uh, on one of the ESPN (laughs) channels. It was at that point that I said, man, uh, really scraping the bottom of the barrel here.
0: Did you watch the horse stuff?
1: I did. I, I mean, look, I give them all credit for trying to come up with stuff. And, and I thought that was cute and clever and, and fun. And I'm, uh, I'm giving a hard t- – actually, my son really loved the video game thing. So I may not be the demographic. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I've, I've been catching some of the stuff. There, people are getting creative.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I want to rewind. Like, let's go back like 20 years ago. I want to go back to high school Pat- Spatola – so yeah. I want to know first. I want to know scouting report on you back in your in your peak days, and I just want to know that you went to you went to army for four years or a four year starter. So like when you decided to go there, was that something that was like did you know ahead of time that you just really wanted to serve, and like basketball was kind of secondary, or was it a, a basketball thing first? How did that all work out?
1: No man, basketball was always primary. Um, military wasn't even mm-hmm. it wasn't even not not only was it not a, in the back of my mind, it wasn't even close to my mind. Uh, I just had never thought about it. And um, they kind of came on. I had, I had sent out, I mean, I was impossibly small. Like I was, I mean, you know how big I am Andy now. Like I, I was, I was so thin. It's probably 130 pounds and, and, you know, like 5'10". I mean, I was just impossibly small. And so you know, I'd, I'd go to these tournament, AAU tournaments or, you know, my high school and, no, you know, I, I didn't look like much. Um, so I had sent out some some tape and, and to a bunch of different schools. Um, one of the schools that had seen it was was Army and Dino Gaudio was, was actually the coach there at the time. He had an assistant, a guy named Marcus Perez, uh, who had seen me play at some point somewhere um, so they just kind of started following me a little bit, and it wasn't a heavy recruitment. Uh, they ended up, ended up seeing me, I think, at an AAU tournament at one point. But they put on a hard sell, man. They, they just, again, it had never crossed my mind. The military academy, my, my dad fell in love with the idea. I went on a visit there. To Dino's credit, uh, he recruited my parents more than me. Uh, I still give him a hard time about it. He may have said about six or seven words to me on the visit. He basically talked to my parents the whole time. And we got home from the visit and it was one of those things where, you know, my parents were just kind of like, you are going to West Point, right? Like that's a done deal. And, you know, being the being the the son who kind of listened to what his parents had to say, I, that was it. I mean, the rest was history and, and I was off, off to the army.
0: Do you have any other D1 offers? You
1: know, yeah, a little bit. Uh, Fairfield had, had uh, kind of recruited me a little bit, um, you know, Manhattan College at one point had gotten involved, and then there were a whole bunch of D2, D3 schools, but, um, you know, I wanted to play Division one. I. I knew I wasn't going to be a pro, um, or, or at least I didn't think I would have the opportunity to be a, a pro in any capacity. I mean, forget the NBA, even, even playing in Europe, so I wanted to go to a good school. I was a pretty, I was a decent student in high school, uh, so, you know, School and and what that school would do for me afterwards was a big part of the decision making process. Um, so it, it ended up, you know, West Point of all the schools that had made a recruiting pitch or had lightly recruited me, Army was by far the best opportunity.
0: Yeah, it's funny. Like I just listened to you say that. It's kind of weird how similar our our paths were because I was kind of in the same in the same way. Like I had some very very small d1 schools after me like d2 d3 maybe was more of my path like a realistic path at the time coming out of high school and then i kind of decided at some point during my senior years like i just think i'm done with basketball and and i was ready to call it quits and then then, then the duke thing popped up a little bit and if i didn't get admitted to duke and and walk on there i just wasn't going to play at all and then like a year or two later like i think after my first year with the team coach pulled me in for like your end of your meeting. And he said, like I could have played at army. He's like, I think basically what he's saying is I could have been a, C- a Chris Vitola is what he was telling me. <laughs>
1: is that <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, and the funny thing is like, I knew coach K at the time, cause I had gone to his camp and he, he actually had pushed me to army and I'm sitting there thinking, okay, well, you know, you like, you're a coach, you know, is there any chance? And, there was no chance like that army ended up being the best opportunity. And, and, you know, the other part of it too, Andy is, is all the military academies have prep schools. And so they actually sent me to Dino had sent me to the prep school, the army prep school for a year. So again, I, like, I had no intention of going to West point. So my, my plan was to go to the army prep school for a year, get a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger, and then, you know, go somewhere else. And, um, and again, that just wasn't in the cards. Yeah, so
0: then you're, you actually were a pretty good player here at Army, too. I'm looking at your stats here on Sports Reference page. You were 18.5 points per game your junior year, 16.5 points your senior year, all-league, uh, two of the years, a uh, four-year starter. And I think you guys, you guys visited Cameron a couple times uh, in a few years. I think I just missed you guys when you came, but what was the experience like playing at Cameron?
1: Well, the games didn't go well. Um, it was – I mean, play, <laughs> look, we played them – here's the thing. We played you guys in 2001, obviously the year you won the national championship. So like I go out there and we're tipping off and Boozer's tipping at center. They got Shane playing that, that four position, you know, Jay will, uh, I mean, just Nate James, like just an insane lineup. And then coming off the bench, you had Dunleavy and Duhan and you know, I'm I'm looking down the bench saying, where's Andy Means and Andy Borman? And can we get those guys in the game? You, you know, so it, it was, it was cool just from the standpoint that I, I had gone back a ways with coach K and, and had gone to, to the basketball camp there and all of that. So to to be able to play in that arena was cool, but uh, man, we got killed both years. We played them, played you guys twice and got, got beat pretty badly both years.
0: You, you saw yourself short a little bit. Like, I remember I remember coming across you a little bit. I think we might have played some pickup, too, even before that, like, uh, at some camps. You had some hops, man. Like, what was your vertical? <laughs> it, was,
1: it was pretty good. I think a lot of it had to do with h- how light I was. So, I wasn't carrying a lot of baggage. <laughs> but, um, I mean, in all, in all honesty, I ended up being a, a – I guess you would call it a late bloomer. Like, I, when I got up to West Point, and I think the year at the prep school helped me a lot because I grew – and 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 you know got better and we played a pretty good schedule that year so by the time i got up to west point you know i i I was a pretty decent player for for that level and you know i led like you said i led the league uh two years in scoring and ended up i think fifth all time at army in in scoring so i I i had a good career i wish we had won more games in my time there but um i don't think anybody again i was lightly recruited i don't think anybody expected i I would finish there the way that uh, the way that I did
0: yeah and then after after you finish your playing career at army, you go on to um, going to actually serve five years of active service in the army, I think even if i'm correct, even getting up to to being a captain so I, I'm curious just to to know like i guess in general just talk about how that how that was, just especially since you said that wasn't even something that was on your radar when you're going into entering the school in the first place like what are i guess as, as from a general uh, standpoint like what are some similarities and differences in like leading a basketball team and then leading a military unit
1: yeah, I mean, there are a lot of similarities you know and I, and I think it's you know that that translation from athlete to soldier it, it's it's a pretty natural one um, you know i full disclosure like my when I decided to go to West Point, it was pre nine eleven so you know at the time and part of Dino's pitch. To me to go there was you know Bill Clinton was the president at, of the United States at the time, and the, the military was downsizing like it was a military at peace, they were downsizing, and so you know you like you said, you have to do a five year commitment when you go to a military academy there were There were folks getting out after two, three years because the army was was downsizing, and then my senior year at West Point is when nine eleven happened so you knew, like we knew immediately when those towers came down that, that we were going to be deploying. And so the world changes cra- you know, immensely. Like you, you have no expectation that you're going to go to combat. You're, you have an expectation that you'll potentially be able to get out of the army in a couple of years. And then all of a sudden you're thrust into, you know, deployments and, and combat and, you know, serving in a military that is, is very much at, at war. So, Uh, It was not what I expected. Um, You know, look, would I go back and do it all over again? Probably not. But I'm better for having done it. Uh, I met some amazing people and and lived through some amazing experiences that that all have made me the person I am and inform what I do now. And there's no question that being an athlete made me a good officer and made me a good soldier. And the translation there is, is a very natural one
0: yeah absolutely and and full disclosure on my part i didn't even make the connection on that between the with the years overlapping like that that just had to have been such a a shock to see your system and your and your life to have to go through that um i just i can't even imagine um what that would have been like just man that's just, just an impressive thing that you did um and then i guess after your after your uh, your active service, then you um, then you go and work for Coach K, and you start kind of at the at the bottom of the totem pole there. I think as maybe as a graduate assistant. Correct me if I'm wrong. And then you got to, uh, promoted yeah. to director of basketball ops. So I guess one. I mean, we could talk Coach K stories uh, endlessly. I'm sure. I'm not going to subject <laughs> everyone to that. But I, I guess I'm kind of curious. as you were. You were um, you saw him in in ways that I never really did get to see him. Like you were in there in coaches' meetings and, and kind of behind the scenes with him, like grinding tape and and parts I never got to to witness him. So like, what was he like when it was just you and the coaches? What like what were his walls down a little bit? Was he a different person? Just kind of talk to me about what he was like when you got around him
1: in that capacity. Yeah, it's a great question, Andy. I, I wish more people could see him in that capacity, um, be, because he is he's a, he's an incredible leader and and it's not just of a basketball team and of young players he's an incredible leader of other coaches and coaches on his staff um there's a there's a soft touch to him there's a um there's a genuine back and forth with him that that was one of the things that shocked me the most when i first got there was he he genuinely wanted opinions you you know and now when i first got there he certainly wanted wojo and and chris collins opinions and johnny dawkins opinions more than mine but um there was a genuine back and forth and and there was um you know there was a a, a, he he, there was a sensitivity to him that i didn't expect um you know he he just he wanted to know he wanted to be in the know he wanted to know what his players were feeling and and relied and it's one of the reasons he he hired younger people to be on his staff. He, he wanted, he wanted that. But when the time came to make a decision and when the time came to, to lead, when the co- time came to, you know, pay attention to certain details and, you know, then he was in very much in control and, and he would take control. And it just was, you know, it took me a little bit, Andy, when I first got there to, to sit in those meetings and be like, my God, you know, that's coach K down there who, who, Who's my boss? And then once you get over that, you you realize that it is a it is a genuine back and forth, and and he's not a micromanager. He wants people who work for him to do their job. Um, you you feel very comfortable that he's hired you because he believes you can do a job. And um and it was a real eye opening experience. And 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 of course because of who he is and because of what Duke is, you're exposed to a lot of uh, amazing things that. Uh, that open up other doors, that expose you to new information. It's, it's just an, it's an incredible, incredible experience.
0: Yeah, and I think one of those doors is one of the things I'm most excited to talk to you about, and that's your time with the USA basketball team. I think you're part of the Redeem team staff. So, like, how did that all work yeah. out? What, what was your entry point into – I'm sure Coach needed all the bodies he could get there, whether it be people to help with practice or t- people to help with film. I know you were – I know you are on the staff there for a few years. So, I guess first talk about, like, what your duties were. And then, I mean, you got to give us some good stories just with the guys that you worked with. I, I could – I, I swear – I was trying to find this story. I swear it was you who had – you had to, like, play against LeBron in, like, some scrimmage or practice or something. You had some great comment to him that he thought was hilarious. And I could not find it. Am I making this up?
1: No, no, it's true. Yeah, we – so – I was basically a court a court coach so like I was out there rebounding for the guy it was the greatest thing ever I mean it was the greatest thing ever and you know would be out there rebounding shagging balls you know getting water you know basically a a, a glorified manager and and again it was was awesome (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely you know what I mean but here's the thing Andy like we were able to sit in, in staff meetings. So like we're in there watching film with coach K and Mike D'Antoni and Nate McMillan and uh, just Jim Beheim. I mean, so there there was obviously it was an unbelievable learning experience incubator, but to be around those professionals and contrast the way they do their stuff and, and the way that environment is versus the Duke environment was crazy good. I mean, it was like, you can't, you can't even put it into words. And one of the things we had to do as the court coaches is we would do during the walkthroughs, coach K didn't want any of the team to like put on the, the pennies and, and be the, you know, the opposing team. He wanted everybody, you know, he didn't want to sort of marginalize anybody in that way. So, Wojo, Chris Collins, Johnny Dawkins, me, uh, one of the scouts, a guy named Connie, uh, Tony Ranzoni would, would put on the pennies and we would, we would be Argentina and we would, for the walkthrough. And so, you know, I ended up matching up all the time with LeBron or he ended up matching up with me. And we kind of had this like weird little, like those guys don't give you much, but he and I kind of had this weird little back and forth. Like one of the days he's got this giant tattoo on his back that says the chosen one. And one of the days I went up to him and I was like, I'm thinking about getting me that chosen one tattoo. What do you think? And he goes, no, no, I don't think that's a good idea. You're too small. Or, you know, one of the days in a walkthrough, he comes out and he's matching up. He's like, I got, I got this dude. He didn't even know my name. I got this dude. And I kind of look at him and say, man, that's a tough matchup. And he kind of, you know, would request. It just we, we kind of had this weird back and forth. But it was. Well, look, didn't man, you say so like that's a small.
0: tough matchup? And he goes, no, you would be all right. And then you said no for you.
1: Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. He goes, he goes. No, you're fine. You'll be fine. We're just walking through. I go, no, no. I meant for you. But <laughs> oh, I, you know, it awesome. was. I was. A, I was a small part of that whole that whole thing. But it was. It was. Um, it was awesome. It was amazing.
0: Yeah. Do you put any any? Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. To say like any truth to the the theory that that kind of softened Coach K or anything. I know he obviously learned a ton from not not just players but from coaches and everything. And it's funny. Like when, if you remember the time when they announced coach was going to be doing that for the USA team, there's all sorts of detractors saying that's going to take away his time from everything. It's going to hurt Duke. And then fast forward, what, eight years later and everyone's saying it's an unfair recruiting advantage. So how do you think that, uh, how do you think that affected Coach K when it was all said and done?
1: Well, I, I think the greatest testament to the leader and the coach that he is, is how that whole experience turned out, Andy, because I will tell you this. Um, there were a lot of folks who were skeptical of Coach K being the coach. And I don't just mean NBA folks, but I mean those players. There were a lot of du- dudes who were very skeptical of him. And it is, it is not easy to gain the trust of NBA players, especially the best ones. And some of those guys fought it early. And, you know, Coach did a really good job. And this is where, you know, tone matters and, and who you're – the people you're leading and understanding who those people are really matters. Coach K was a very different person and coach with the USA teams than he was with his Duke teams, and he figured out how to get those guys to buy in and trust. You know, pretty quickly. Uh, he, you know, it, that that first, you know, the year they lost to Greece, uh, that first year. Uh, There were some rough times. There were some up and down times. Guys weren't ready to trust. Guys didn't really buy in. Guys were still young. Like those guys, Melo and and LeBron, they were still really young. Um, But, you know, he learned from the experience. We got some older guys by 2008. Kobe Bryant was then involved. They got Jason Kidd to get involved, Chauncey Billups. They got some older guys. And, you know, he had, I think – gotten those guys to, to buy in, and, and LeBron, and once he got those guys on board and those guys started trusting him, then the thing just went off the ground. But I give him a lot of credit, and I don't think it's talked about enough, the job that coach did to get that buy-in, because there were a lot of folks who were fighting it early on.
0: Yeah, I think, I mean, that's kind of a testament to what makes a great leader, too. Like, you, you hear all the time about coaches just making changes based on their roster to, like, what kind of offense to run or what kind of defense they are going to run. But it's rare you see someone be able to adapt their, their leadership philosophy so much. Like I was telling you, I was reading this book on Michael Jordan, and like, I feel like Michael Jordan had one, one, uh, one lane as far as his leadership, and that was just to get on guys to make sure they're on his level. But like you were saying with Coach, it kind of he he, he, changed his, he changed his leadership style, and I think that's, that's what makes him so great. And it's, it's mainly because I think because of his relationships that he builds with everybody. Like he, treats, he treats everybody so well, and everyone just wants to get on board with him
1: but he didn't change his values. And that was, I think that was to me, at least that was the leadership lesson I learned. Like he changed his tone. He became a little bit more accommodating. He, you know, he he ignored more things than he would with his Duke team, but his values never changed. Like I, I remember a meeting where we're watching film and Kevin Durant he just had to, you know. He just he had never been taught. Like those guys have never been taught to communicate. There's nobody who has ever been in their lives up to that point who had told them what right looks like, how to talk to coaches, how to act, how to be, the, you know, do things the right way. And so Kevin Durant had this thing where he wouldn't look up. Like he would, he wasn't messing with his phone. He just would like look down all the time. And and you know how coaches, Andy, you've been in those meetings. Like he want you got to look him in the eye. You he wants eye contact.
0: Sure. Yeah.
1: And so the question is, well, how do you, like, you're not going to call Kevin Durant out in that meeting. In a Duke meeting, he would do that. He would tell a player, he would call him out in front of everybody and tell him to look up. Instead, coach grabbed him after the meeting, and he said, hey, look, I know you're not, you know, I know you're not trying to do anything wrong intentionally, but I need you to look at me. I need to know you're hearing me. And that was probably the first time that Kevin Durant had ever been told that in his life. But you know what? Every meeting from that point forward, Durant was locked in. And so that's where, you know, look, the NBA doesn't do shoot-arounds. Well, you're preparing for Argentina, for example, and you got a day in between Olympic Games. We're going over to the arena. Look, we're not going to work you out, but we're going to shoot around. Some of the guys at times had issue with that. And, Coach, instead of calling out LeBron – He'd pull him off to the side, off the bus, and he'd say, hey, man, I need your buy-in on this. Like, we're going to do this. Now, I get it. I'm not going to work you hard, and you have to trust me that I'm not going to work you hard, but we have to go over and prepare for this team that we're about to play. So, again, it was figuring out the way to talk to those guys without compromising your values, and I thought that was, to me, the biggest lesson I learned.
0: Yeah, and a couple of those guys you just mentioned there in those stories, which I love, by the way, um, LeBron and KD. Uh LeBron, uh LeBron obviously did not go to college KD was the one who done in Texas so fast forward to present day and I'm looking at your Twitter your tweets you have some tweets based on the race, recent stuff that's going down with this G League and the NBA and the college stuff you said look out college the G League is coming for you so I want to get your thoughts now on this Jalen Green Isaiah Todd situation for the for those who don't know what's going on the NBA basically started something with uh with their G League, they kind—they of, tried this a couple of years ago, and they kind of bumped it up a little bit. Where they're, they're, they're enticing players who don't want to go to college, and instead of going overseas to play pro, they basically are getting a package of, 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 of you know, five hundred thousand dollars. They can, they can get endorsements. They're putting them onto a G League team that's not affiliated with a the team. They aren't stuck there after this first year, but they're just basically giving them an op, another option. So I'm, I'm curious. Uh, you obviously are. This is obviously a threat to college basketball, in, in your opinion, in some way, shape or form or another. So let me get your thoughts on what's going down with all this.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, it is not the problem, but it is it is symptomatic of a larger problem that college basketball is facing right now. And, and that's a talent drain. I mean, we are losing the top 10% of the best players in college basketball year over year. And so... You know, everybody thinks that the NBA has college basketball's best interests at heart. It does not. The NBA is a business. The NBA is trying to make money. And the NBA right now is looking at college basketball. They're seeing plummeting ratings. They're seeing a talent drain. The best players leaving every year. And they're seeing an entity, a sport, where the, the talent base is not making any money off of their name, image, or likeness, or off of their talents, and so the NBA has basically taken the NCAA out of the equation. They are trying to come up, and look, and, and a lot of folks are going to say, look, it's one or two guys. Right now it is. They're testing the market. But this is the NBA, and does anybody doubt that the NBA is going to figure out a market where they can ultimately blow it up? So, again, the Jalen Green thing, I think, is, is not necessarily a problem now, but it is, it is symbolic that all of a sudden now – the number, the presumptive number one pick in the 2021 draft has bypassed college and is now going to the G league in whatever form that is. Again, I'm not arguing the viability of the G league program that they're presenting, but I think they've upped the money, which has changed the calculus on the thing. Like you said, the $500,000 and, and what it's doing is it's sending a message that there is going to be an alternative until the NCAA gets its act together. And it just, it just hasn't done that. And If anybody thinks, look, I don't know if Jalen Green is going to end up being Zion Williamson, but all these people who think, well, one or two guys or three guys don't matter, they evidently did not live through the year that was Zion Williamson. Ratings skyrocketed. Attention for the sport. There were entities talking about college basketball that never talk about college basketball. Everybody benefited from that one dude being in college. If you lose that guy, not to mention all the other players we lose year over year, the sports it's facing a real climb uphill climb right now.
0: Yeah. So, so my hope is that I like that there's an option for, I like that there's another viable option because my hope is that the NCAA reacts positively to this. Is that going to happen? I don't know. So if you, let's say you get the power to be, you know, NCAA commissioner or what have you for, for a period of time, what is, what is something that you think they can realistically do to make college basketball a better product? Because for those that don't know, I know you know this, but a lot don't like, the, the one-and-done rule is not an NCAA thing. That's an NBA thing. It's so like, what is something that NCAA can do to improve their product?
1: I think what they have to do is they have to f- be able to figure out the leverage in the whole thing. Like, right now, they are catering to every need and everything that the NBA tells them is going to happen. So, for example, okay? I think it was 84 underclassmen last year ended up staying in the draft. So right now we have about 115 who have declared for the draft last year it was around that number. And about 84 of them stayed in the draft. Only 40 underclassmen were actually drafted last year. So what that means is 44 kids were not drafted. Now look, they may go to a summer league team, go play in Europe, but imagine if those 44 kids could have the option to come back to college. So the first thing I would do, Andy, is we have to figure out a way to get those kids who aren't drafted back into college. It is positively draconian and arrogant on the part of the NCAA to say, Hey, look, you want to stay in a draft. We don't want you anymore. It's ridiculous. And it's anti education, quite frankly. So that's the first thing I would do. Now, you know, other things have been thrown out, out there. I you know that Like, for example, hockey has a situation where every kid is draft eligible and an NBA team could make a decision on whether or not you draft a kid, you draft him, the kid may say, well, I'm going to stay in college another year. Well, you retain his rights. But what it does is it puts it back now on the NBA to say, look, it's a risk or risk to to draft a kid or not. He may stay in college. He may come and play with it. But the point is you retain kids – In college, you give them the opportunity to stay, and right now, again, it's not the Jalen Greens or the. Even if they change the one and done, like you're still going to lose five to ten guys. What we have to stop, Andy, is we've got to stop those 44 kids who don't get drafted, who now all of a sudden can't play college basketball anymore.
0: Is that because they're giving into the coaches on that one? Because like, isn't it the coaches who say the 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 college coaches? I mean, because they're saying it's there's then there, there are gaps in their roster and there's not enough time to – they don't know who's on their roster. Is that why they're giving in to, like, not letting that happen or is it something else?
1: No, I, th- I, think, it, I think it has to do with a couple of things. Because, I mean, you know how it is, Andy. Coaches want talent. So they'll do anything they True. can to accommodate a kid who stays in a draft. If he says, Coach, I'm coming back, they'll do anything they can to make, sure, make it work out for that guy. Point, so yeah. it's not the coaches – I just think it's a vest. it's an antiquated thing where, you know, I think agents have something to do with it and the NJ has tried to roll this stuff back, but they're all half-step measures. And, and I think it honestly is positively, it, it's antiquated to the point where it's just been baked in for so long where you stay in the draft, you have to end up getting an agent and, you know, then we're not going to have you back. And, and the agents have been the boogeyman for so long and, I don't know what it is. It's very easy. That part of it is very easy to fix and, and why they won't make that change. I, I just don't know.
0: So I guess, what are your thoughts in general on the one and done rule? I think it should just go away because I, again, this isn't an NCAA thing. It's an NBA thing. And I don't even know who's, who's at odds and in that and the NBA, NBA and the players, union up there, I don't even know. And there's rumors that it might not be as close to getting eliminated as it should. Where do you stand on that? I think it should just go away. If you're good enough to, Play and get drafted. You're you're good enough to play and get drafted. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, and and that's why I think the NHL models is is the best is the best one. And I, I was um, I think it was Dan Wetzel had written an article the last couple of days about it that I, I thought articulated it really really well um, because to me, like any of those rules, like the the, the baseball rule college football, to me, they're unconstitutional. I mean, the fact that you can tell somebody yeah, that they can't go be a professional in their, their, get their chosen field, I think is, it's, it's un-American to me. So that's why I, I would open it up. Everybody is draft eligible. Everybody is draft eligible. Doesn't matter out of high school. It doesn't matter if you're first year in college, second year in college. Everybody is draft eligible. If a team drafts you, you want to go pro, go ahead, go pro. If a team doesn't draft you, which obviously, if everybody's eligible, you're not going to, then you just stay in college, you know. So to me, I, I've never been in favor of any sort of uh, rule that determines or dictates when a kid can go professional or not. I think it's un-American and it shouldn't be on the books. Um, and there is a again, there is a simple way to do it, and there is there is a league out there college hockey and the NHL are doing it right now and to me I I think that is the model for where things should go
0: yeah I hope they get I hope they get things together soon I've just I mean I feel like I'm kind of in their demographic for uh for at least a little bit here and I I just don't watch as much college basketball as I used to I don't know what it is I just have come yeah. for one I've come to appreciate the game pro game way more but yeah they're they've definitely been losing me even like I've said this before on other, on other mediums, but like even Duke games, man, it's even hard for me to just, I check in kind of towards, you know, one February getting close to March and things like that, but it's just, yeah, they they need to do something. I hope they figure it out soon. Um, yeah, all right, so they have, I,
1: they have to do something. You said it.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I know we're getting a little short on time here. I, I do appreciate you coming on here. I just want to close out with a couple, couple of fun quick hitters if you've got a few minutes for me.
1: Let's do it. I'm all not right. going anywhere.
0: Yeah, I I I lead in like that just in case, but let's be honest, we all have the time. Um, Yeah, so all right, I talked about it at the at the top. Peaks spatola you you gave me a little bit of your scouting report, but I want you to give me a a former or current NBA player that most resembles your game.
1: Man, you know I always try to model my game after Juan Dixon. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know, a little undersized, but. Um, you know that type of a game that's that's kind of how I played I obviously wasn't nearly as good and um, was probably more of a volume shooter than he he was but uh, we we had similar games and and I always tried to I thought he was terrific and and, you know a guy from from our era I I always thought he was a terrific player and, and that was you know people who ask that question that's the guy that I always point to
0: I like that one. I I was not expecting that. Mine would I think mine's I'm a very very poor man's Joe Ingles. That's what I'm going with. Um, nice. <laughs> <laughs> very very poor. Very poor. Um, if you could go back and be on the call for a past in a past NCA game, any game you choose, you would be the you'd be the uh, the color analyst for that one.
1: Which game would it be? I would do the now probably because I was on the sideline for this game, but I would do the 2010 national championship game between Duke and Butler. And I I thought that was, and it was funny because it was just replayed. CBS was playing some old national championship games. I thought that was the most beautiful game that has been played in a national championship game in a long time. I mean, I, I just, and it was low scoring and it was a grinded out affair. And there's a lot of folks who would look at that game and say, man, that was really ugly. Um, but I know I knew what went into that game for both teams, and I had great respect for who Butler was. I had tremendous respect for the fe- you know for who who we were and the team that we had, and the fact that that team could win a national championship. And of course, the way that it ended, it'd be an epic, epic call. So I, it's close to the heart, so I'm a little biased, but that would be the one, Andy.
0: I'm, I'm glad you brought that one up. I don't know if I don't know if you know I'm from Indy, so I was that that game was a, a real that was dramatic for me and when we went into lucas oil that night and for people who don't know lucas oil lucas oil stadium where that game was played they obviously built that for the colts but they also built it with basketball in mind like they like if you go to a lot of the big football stadiums now they like have curtains up and everything this this place was literally a football or a football stadium with the basketball court at the very center of the stadium so it was the the epitome of like the biggest basketball stadium you could get, but it was real. It was like a truly big field house. And I tell you what, like when, you know, teams come and warm out or teams come out and warm up and then they go back in for that, you know, that brief little few minutes at like the eight minute mark. And then they come back out for the last few minutes before starting lineups. When Butler came back out, in that championship game and 99 and a half percent of that stadium roared for Butler. I was like, we are going to lose tonight. Oh my God. Uh, but yeah, that yeah. was a, that was a phenomenal game, man. Like if that, obviously we were lucky to come out on top on that one, but if man, if that Hayward shot one and you're talking about like literally probably <laughs>
1: sports moment in the history of sports, right? There's no question. And that's why I thought, cause you know how those seats at the final four of the benches are, are, they're like dugouts. So we're below the floor. And from our angle, I was sitting right next to Wojo. We I mean, we thought it was good. Like it looked good from our angle. And like you said, I mean, we're in Indianapolis, it's Butler, it's Gordon Hayward. It's, you know, it was meant to be for them in that moment and they got it rimmed out.
0: (laughs) All right. Yeah. So uh, next question we're to preface this, we're recording this on Saturday before the uh, the MJ dot comes out on uh, Sunday. So my next question for you is who is the greatest basketball player ever?
1: Michael Jordan. I don't, and it's not, it's hands down, Michael Jordan.
0: That's what I think. And I keep getting LeBron pushback.
1: I mean, look, I I think when it's all said and done, LeBron will be, it'll be MJ and LeBron and it's probably beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Um, I, I think certainly LeBron has taken taking the game to the next level. But I got, I will, I will say this and and maybe because the era I grew up in and we'll see it in the documentary. There was no more dominant life force on a basketball floor than Michael Jordan. No more competitive life force on the, on the court than Michael Jordan. Uh, He revolution, not even just look, if you take the full body of, okay, what makes a goat, what makes the greatest of all time? He changed the style. I mean, like he he was the one with the long shorts. Like mm-hmm. like that's where he started that whole fad. Um just the whole thing. And then I'll tell you what, and, and I got a lot of these stories from Coach Jay. He was just a freak of nature in terms of like he would never sleep. He'd go I mean, you know the stories about him playing golf thirty six holes and then going to a playoff game that night. He drank, he gambled, he smoked. I mean, it just like he was He was an anomaly on every kind of level. And, I mean, six champions. Look, we don't have to have the full debate here. But to me, he was the most (laughs) dominant force I've ever seen on a basketball floor.
0: I'm with you, man. I'm with you. All right, last question. In their primes, a game of one-on-one, who wins between Chris Patola and Andy Means?
1: I mean, I'm afraid that the game would turn into bully ball and you would just kind of try to take me down on the block with that big rear end you now have. And uh, are you saying back in the day?
0: Back in our primes, in our primes though, Yeah, I have a big rear yeah. end. I, don't, I didn't used to. I was, I was skinny. I was about as skinny as you, man, but I didn't have your
1: athleticism. Put it this way. If there's a dribble limit, I'm okay. <laughs> if it's one of those where you can Mark Jackson me and just kind of back me in for 27 dribbles – then, uh, then, then I've, I've got a real problem.
0: I feel like no one, we would not want to subject anybody to that one-on-one game. Um, <laughs> that, no, yeah, no one wants to see that. Dude, I appreciate you hopping on, man. Um, I, I, really, I really like your work, and I hope we get some basketball going here soon so we can uh, stop from going crazy. I appreciate you coming on.
1: No doubt, Andy. My, my pleasure, brother. Be well. All right, man. Have a good one.
0: All right, that'll do it for this week's episode of the Mean Streets Podcast. Thanks again to Chris Batola for coming on and giving us a little bit of his time. Again, if you guys could subscribe, rate, and review to the Mean Streets channel, the Mean Streets Podcast, I would greatly appreciate it. We will be back soon with some more guests. Everyone have a good week.